0: Hey there, I'm Catalina Villegas. I'm the host of ROLI's Experts Explain Everything podcast. ROLI is the platform where journalists find experts for their stories. It is created by journalists and for journalists. And as a journalist myself, I love to find fascinating people on ROLI. Experts with so much to talk about and share. It rarely makes it past the headlines. So today I'm bringing on one of those exceptional experts to answer all of those burning questions I've ever had. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Tracy Pearson. She is not only a lawyer, but she has a doctorate in education in organizational change and leadership. And she is also a content creator as executive producer and host of Deep Dive with Dr. Tracy. And she's a regular legal analyst on Court TV. It is so nice to have you on. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. Today, we're going to focus on your experience and your expertise as an attorney. So, if you could please explain to us the intersection between criminal and civil courts. Let's start with what is a criminal court and what is a civil court? A criminal court,
1: the purpose is to determine the guilt or innocence of someone who's been accused of a crime. Uh, The end result being that the person who's been accused and potentially convicted uh, will face uh, imprisonment or fines as part of a, an attempt to be hold people accountable um, and to uh, subject the person to rehabilitation. A civil court is completely different in that it is a uh, court that is uh, to deal with disputes between individual people or people and, and businesses. And the purpose there is to... Um, create accountability in the form of awarding what we call money damages, um, basically giving people money um, for uh, damage that they've uh, received as part of somebody's conduct. Um, The other thing a a civil court can do is issue something called specific relief or specific performance where they can um, ask a person or a business to, uh, to do or not do something.
0: I didn't actually realize that last part about civil courts, that's really interesting. Um, So are criminal and civil trials held in the same courts? Uh, Do they have the same judges? In some states,
1: uh, they do. Um, It it depends on the state. Generally speaking, most states have a system where there are lower trial courts, possibly district courts, um, and then there are sort of medium or uh, what they call superior courts, and then appellate courts, which are um, sometimes known as Um, Supreme courts. Um, And so in a district court type system where you think of like a a municipality, um, a city court, you might have judges that hear both civil and criminal cases. In larger places like Los Angeles, um, generally speaking, the judges are divided and they have their own docket. So you have a criminal docket or a civil docket.
0: Got it. So but if it's a smaller, maybe a really small town, then would the judge have both, maybe a criminal and a civil docket?
1: They would hear they would hear both kinds of cases, yes, and um, sometimes on the same day, sometimes on different days. But because they're limited in staff, they would hear both kinds of cases.
0: Um, now, I do know that there's different thresholds for proving guilt in each of these courts, but why is that also important?
1: It's important because the uh, because of what can happen to you in these courts
0: when we're dealing
1: with a a criminal case, um, you know, the history of of criminal courts or that, you know, back when when we belonged to England, um, any any conduct that was was against the law was against the king. And we were all subjects of the king when we got rid of the king um, and and became, you know, a nation of of states. um, What happened is that that it became a crime against all of us. And if a crime was committed, then you might be subject to imprisonment. So that is the greatest deprivation of liberty that a person can experience. So that is why there's a higher burden in a criminal court uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, In a civil court, you'll hear usually two kinds of burdens. One is a preponderance of the evidence. And the way I like folks to think about that is to imagine a scale. And on one side is a person who needs to prove a case, and on the other side is a person who is defending a case. The person who needs to prove the case just needs to move that scale ever so slightly, so 51%, let's say. And in that case, um, you would prove your case by a preponderance of the evidence clear and convincing is the other standard that's sometimes seen in civil courts. Um, and that's, that's a little bit higher. Some States attribute that to uh, a burden of beyond a reasonable doubt, but generally speaking, it's just a bit higher than by a preponderance of the evidence.
0: So does the does that threshold change specifically for the civil courts? The preponderance of evidence versus the clear and convincing. Does it change depending on the state, or does it change depending on the case, or on the type of court? That's a really great question. Um, in there are lots of different kinds of burdens.
1: So in in you know in a criminal case, you might see um, uh, you might see. Um, you know, some some what would they call burden shifting? Um, somebody might um, have an affirmative defense, and there might be some burden shifting going on. Um, but but that stuff usually happens in civil court. And so, um, in a in a civil case, it's generally a preponderance of the evidence. In uh, termination of parental rights cases, um, which are also civil court matters um, because they're family matters, those can be clear and convincing evidence sometimes. Um, in uh, California, as a really good example, um, just recently there was a case that was decided where retaliation cases in employment law. Um, normally the plaintiff needs to make that burden of uh, preponderance of the evidence. And then um, they've recently now indicated that in order for an a, a employer to prevail, um, the employer would have to prove that, that the retaliation conduct that's alleged um, is uh, that it was that it was for a legitimate business purpose, but they have to prove that by what's called clear and convincing evidence. So there's a burden shift there. Mm. So it really it, it, the criminal courts are are generally beyond a reasonable doubt, and in civil cases, it depends on the type of case. It can depend on um, you know where you sit in the case, um, and it can depend on the state.
0: Um, now, I know that in criminal cases you can appeal your conviction. Is that also the case with civil cases, and do they travel through the same court circuits?
1: it's, a, it's another good question. Um, yes, in civil cases there is a right of appeal. Um, both parties um, can appeal. So, for example, a, a judge might issue an order or a jury might issue a decision um, where you don't get everything that you want, mm-hmm. um, and, but the other side prevails a bit. Um, So, you can appeal and the other side can appeal as well. Um, And and sometimes it gets a little confusing. Um, But generally speaking, uh, it travels up through um, an appeal system that would be the same as what the criminal system is utilizing. There aren't separate uh, appeal courts for um, criminal cases and civil cases.
0: In criminal cases, is there only one party that can appeal?
1: Only the defense can appeal in, defense. in a, generally speaking, in, in a criminal case. And that's because right. the state has the burden of proof.
0: Um, now, the Sixth Amendment guarantees us the right to a lawyer and a jury and a speedy trial. Um, but this usually, as I understand, only applies to criminal cases, right? Or when, when does it apply to a civil case or does it never?
1: Um, it applies to criminal cases, um, but certain... Um, types of cases will give you uh, a, an attorney, and it's generally a statutory um, uh, right that's given to you. So, uh, for example, in a conser- in California, they'd call it a conservatorship. In in other parts of the country, it would be potentially a guardianship or conservatorship. Mm-hmm. Um, you would be as the person who who might be um, subject to a conservatorship. So, for example, Britney Spears would be a good example. Right. Um, she had a right to an attorney and an attorney had been appointed for her and she had wanted to hire her own lawyer, but was prohibited from doing that. And. Um, So that's an example of when you might have um, uh, an attorney appointed for you. You might have an attorney appointed for you in a case where your parental rights were being terminated or where you were being accused of abuse or neglect, also civil cases. Um, And in cases that sound like they might be criminal, but they are in fact civil. um, If you are uh, convicted of a, of a crime and, um, and, and, Um, are released or you are um, not convicted and are determined to be uh, innocent because of, of insanity. Mm -hmm. um, You may uh, go through what's called a civil, um, a a civil commitment proceeding where the state tries to um, have you civilly committed to a hospital. And in those cases, still a civil matter, not a criminal case. um, You would potentially have the right to uh, a lawyer.
0: And are these the same uh, lawyers that would usually show up for you in, uh, in, during criminal proceedings? Are they the same type of attorneys or does it, is it someone from the outside? That's another really great question. Um,
1: most states have a public defender's office. Uh, as part of their system. So that would be in a criminal case, you would be appointed a public defender if you couldn't afford one. Um, they also have a, most courts or most most states have a system whereby um, if the public defender had a conflict and that can happen in a number of different ways, but if they had a conflict um, that uh, a contracted attorney, who was a private attorney who, who um, uh, was approved by the state to have a contract um, could represent you they also have appointed attorneys um, so they don't have a contract but they work on a sort of an hourly system uh, could be appointed for you um, some attorneys elect to to do both uh, criminal and and these sorts of civil cases where attorneys are appointed um, some attorneys choose to only focus on on one or the other
0: that's uh, that's really fascinating I didn't know that uh, sometimes, Courts can have contracts with uh, outside attorneys and kind of pull them in the these situations. That's fascinating. Um, so, just one incident, as I understand it, can trigger cases in both courts. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How does that work?
1: Yes. Um, you the the cl- most classic example that I can think of would be a, an incident of domestic violence. So. Um, You could have a situation where um, domestic violence is alleged to have occurred and um, you go seek a protective order. By doing that, that's a civil case, typically, um, and oftentimes it's through the family courts, which are civil. Um, If you were subject to domestic violence, it also may be a crime. Um, so if somebody assaulted you, or if, if somebody attempted to assault you, or if they engaged in battery, they caused you injury, um, then, or attempted to kidnap you, there's lots of charges um, that can arise from a domestic violence incident. So those instances would be charged as crimes, and those would be processed in the criminal courts. Then um, there's another example that arises from that. Let's say your son or daughter. Uh, was a witness to the domestic violence. There may be what's called an abuse or neglect case, sometimes called dependency cases in some states, where um, there is an attempt to protect the child um, from one or both parents because of the exposure to domestic violence. And that would be in a civil uh, in a civil context.
0: Well, I can't imagine how confusing that must be for people that are Caught up in that system, um, and as far as I understand, usually the criminal case is tried before the civil case. I mean, is that right? And if so, why?
1: Well, you know, in in my experience, and and typically, you're right. The you want to try the civil or the criminal case first, and uh, there's there's a few reasons for that. Um, in In the first instance, you have a right to remain silent. Um, And in a civil case, you don't Um, if you if you choose to to assert silence in a civil case uh, because there's a criminal case pending that that silence can be taken as what's called a negative inference against you, meaning that people can treat it as you're being silent because you're guilty or you're responsible Um, in the criminal context. You have a right to remain silent, period, and that can't be used against you. So typically what you want to do is you want to have the criminal case happen first. It has the highest burden of proof uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. And um, and you don't have to deal with all those other issues uh, of, of silence and what have you. Um, and um, you um, are also subject to the highest burden of proof. Then what happens is uh, typically there will be a um, a civil case that ensues after that. And that civil case is subjected to a lower burden of proof. uh, So it'll be most likely easier to prove. um, And uh, there won't be a restriction on the defendant's uh, ability to speak. And we saw that sort of in the Bill Cosby case, where uh, he had made an agreement to, um, you know, where there was an agreement that the uh, prosecutor wouldn't prosecute him. And then he agreed to a deposition where he made statements. Um, Then later, those statements were used against him in a criminal case that ultimately ensued. Um, And all of that being the subject of an appeal decision that ultimately threw out uh, the conviction, uh, which was upsetting to most people. Um so it, it was it, it, as you can see there's there's there can be a um these cases can get really complicated if one jumps before the other.
0: Mm. So my time's about up, but I did want to finish up with um you have a lot of experience in this field and I I wonder if you could give some advice to people that might have cases pending before the criminal and civil courts any words of advice
1: I, you know, I do have some suggestions. Um, you need to be knowledgeable about your case uh, and about, about the, the, the cases in, in these multiple courts because in, in situations like a domestic violence case, you have to sometimes make decisions about what, what is more important to you. Um, you, know, you can have your parental rights terminated uh, if you're convicted of, of a crime, um, of a violent crime, especially one that may involve the child so you you want to be really careful about um uh entering into a plea for example you that could be used against you um in in a in terminating your rights um and and that's oftentimes what i saw um and the same thing goes in in these civil cases involving domestic violence where there's you know divorce cases and and all sorts of stuff that that can arise um, from these instances. And so you, you want to understand these cases, you want to understand what's at stake. And if you have multiple lawyers, which is very possible, um, you want them working together and you want to make sure they work together because you can't trust that, uh, each lawyer has the same breadth of knowledge as the other lawyers, because in many States, people, uh, are specialized. And so they may not be aware of the consequences that you may be facing in these other cases. And you want to get your team, your legal team, working together.
0: Amen to that. You want your legal team working together. Well, Thank you for your insight and for your time. Thank you very much. It was great to be here and I was glad to be here. You can find Tracy and hundreds of other exceptional experts at www.rollyapp.com. I'm Catalina Villegas, and you can always connect with me as well on social media, on Twitter, IG, or Facebook. Until next time.